This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstiles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into sports memorabilia or comic books or wrestling figures, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. Everything you see there is in Canadian funds, so to all you American listeners, it's a little bit cheaper. And yes, obviously, they ship down there to you, and they also ship all around the world. So, like I said, they got comic books, signed sports memorabilia, anything from like hockey sticks to pucks to gloves. Same thing with wrestling figures. They got the small ones, the big ones, the in-between ones, whatever you want. Frame pictures. They update daily, so please visit firstrow.ca. And if you're into video games and books, best place to visit is bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Galaga, Metal Gear Solid, and obviously Mega Man 3. And if you want to support me directly, please visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com. Scroll down on today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on the link. It takes you right to my merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to travel mugs to COVID masks. Anything you need or want is literally there, and that supports me directly. But if you don't want to support anything monetarily, it's totally understandable. The easiest thing you could do, the most important thing you could do is please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. Most specifically, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So, this week's guest is an award-winning writer, a podcaster, and a professor. He is the writer behind the upcoming Retromania Wrestling video game and the author of Boss Fight Books Mega Man 3, Sal Payne. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on the podcast and to talk. No, thank you for coming aboard. So how are you doing during the COVID era? Because obviously everyone needs to know what they've been doing. Are you obeying rules? Or are you one of those crazy men out there having parties and shit? <laughs> oh, no. I, I'm the furthest uh, possible person from that. I have been uh, barricaded in my house essentially since March. Okay so, okay. so we've been extremely cautious. You know, we've been fortunate where my wife and I were both our jobs let us work from home. Nice. So we've had the luxury to just, you know... Uh, bunker down <laughs> well when i reached out to gabe to have you on obviously the head honcho at boss fight books which we're gonna get into Mega Man 3 there was two things i noticed doing some research on you and i'm like okay well actually four if you think about it. obviously Mega Man 3 and retromania wrestling that's but beyond that you're from scranton i love the tv series the office so right there chick you also attended college in pittsburgh as you can see behind me I've, i'm a huge pittsburgh penguins fan so another check. So I'm like, okay, th- this is going to be an easy episode. <laughs> I was going to note that as soon as I saw, you know, listeners can't hear, but I saw your, your penguins. Uh, is it a clock or is it just a bottle cap? Yeah, it's just a huge bottle cap. Yeah, I'm very excited. You know, I love Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh is like the city of my heart. I, I love my time there. I lived there for five years. So Oh, nice. Yeah, wonderful city. That's what my first book is about Pittsburgh. It's called uh, Last Call in the City of Bridges. So it's all about Pittsburgh and the bar scene there. So, yeah, I, I love Pittsburgh. And I also, wish I could live there now. <laughs> oh, shit. And I also know you're a huge basketball fan. Now, obviously, Pennsylvania doesn't have a pro basketball team. So what's your favorite basketball team? So yeah, so like you said, I, I grew up in Scranton, so we got the uh, Madison Square Garden Network when I was a kid. So I okay. have loved the Knicks 
you know, we're around the same age, so I grew up on the 90s Knicks, so like John Starks, Patrick Ewing. That was my favorite team, too. Before oh, the Raptors so came great. into play, my, Knicks was my team. <laughs> so good. You know, it was, a, it was an incredible run there in the 90s, yes. and then, as you know, it's been a, a horrible 20 years since then. <laughs> you know, one brief season in 2012, that was pretty good. You know, Jeremy Lin had two weeks. The Raptors have been much more successful, you know, as you know. So. Of course. Yeah, it's been, been a rough fandom for me. okay so before we get into Mega Man 3 one thing that popped right in my mind when I was reading this book and I was like what the hell's going on and I gotta get to the bottom of all this is your video game collection now when you wrote this book I think you wrote it was you were just over 480 what are you capping up now so I'm at about 550 uh, Nintendo games so you can now you only you can see them but they're behind me oh okay wow (laughs) they're they're over there nice Uh, so yeah so I've kind of slowed down you know and really it's because the the market's exploded NES games are even more expensive than than they were when I I wrote the book right Um, and really it just seems insane to maybe spend this much money on certain games I I remember I got um, the most expensive game I got was Bonk's Adventure and I didn't pay for it. I just traded a ton of other stuff. Wow. And uh, it was, I think, $300 the store was charging for it. And I got that. Oof. And I just thought, like, you know what? I, I really can't do this anymore. I can't justify this as, like, a married adult human being, like, spending that much. So I didn't even spend a cent on it. Okay. But I still felt horrible about about acquiring it. So that's kind of when things slowed down. So is it only Nintendo games you have or you got other old school stuff as well? Oh, I have a bunch. I have a bunch of stuff. So I have a Sega Saturn collection, a ton of Super Nintendo games, some Turbo Graphics stuff. I'm, I'm trying. I'm looking behind me now to see some N64 stuff. So all that kind of like 80s, 90s or so. I have a Famicom. So I started collecting Famicom games then for a while. It's wow. it's very much a bad habit. I do not recommend this. Everything is available online that most people want to play. You know, right. you go that route would be my recommendation. Yeah, but do you enjoy the rush of going to like say flea markets and other outlets and stuff like that to find these gems? Yeah, that was my favorite part, to, to be quite honest. Like, there that's the part I love. You know, going out with friends, you know, getting in the car, spending the day, you know, going from flea market to flea market. That was always the most fun, you know. And then, because, I mean, so many of the games, once you have the first, like, 30 for a system, are not that good. You know, right. there, there's only so much you want to play Taboo, the Sixth Sense on Nintendo. Sure. Uh, <laughs> before you jump out a window, so. So, that, uh, that was going to, that you pretty much answered my next question. Obviously, you play these games. They don't just sit in its box and it, or you framed them or anything. You actually physically play with them, right? Yes. Yeah, I play a lot. I was playing today. Uh, yeah, I probably play every day. You know, maybe not as much retro gaming now as I used to, you know, but, but definitely every day. So what are you going to do when uh, eventually your CRT TV dies out? Is there, you have a backup one or do you know what's going to happen? Oh, what a nightmare. What a nightmare. Let's hope that never happens, you know, so I have one right behind me. <laughs> right. Uh, so hopefully that will just last forever. I have like a, you, you, the listeners can't see this, but I have a bunch of, you know, VHS tapes, you know, I still oh, wow. have VHS tapes, this is Dazzling Dunks, <laughs> basketball bloopers, sure. you know, and VHS, so hopefully this will last, because I uh, use it quite a bit. Oh, wow, so I gotta ask you, I know it's gonna be hard, but what's like, maybe your top three or top four or five video games that you owned in? Mario 3, to be honest, that was really? my favorite one as a kid, okay. yeah, it's still my favorite, you know, Nintendo game, you know, I love that game. Uh, I love Maniac Mansion. Uh, I love DuckTales. I probably enjoy DuckTales more than Mega Man 3, although I love Mega Man 3, obviously. Right. Um, you know, the Final Fantasy games are big, so all the Super Nintendo JRPGs are, are very much in my heart. So Earthbound, Final Fantasy 3 Chrono Trigger, and Final Fantasy 7 uh, on PlayStation 1. Metal Gear Solid, I love. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, it's hard to pick just a couple, you know, just even narrowing it down to that was hard. <laughs> Okay, how about your favorite system? That's a little bit easier for people. Okay, then I'm going to go with the Nintendo. Real The original over Super Nintendo? Yeah, I think the oh. Super Nintendo is probably better, but me okay. personally, my nostalgic sweet spot and the feeling sure. I get when I turn it on and the way the graphics look and how it makes me feel, probably the Nintendo, but I recognize Super Nintendo is a much better library. That is, especially today, is much more playable. There's a right. higher quality of life. But me personally, I like I like Mario Three and all that stuff. So when did you get into gaming, and when did the idea come of writing about video games? Wow, you know it's interesting because uh, part part of it is is um, synced up with Boss Fight books because oh. I hadn't really thought about it before. So okay. I um, 
Um, I had always been a huge fan of games, but I never really thought that I could write them or write about them. You know, mm. it just seemed to be a hobby that I had that I was very much into. But then I remember um, I was a hour one, day one Kickstarter backer for Boss Fight Books season one. Nice. I saw it. I was immediately blown away, very excited. I had known Gabe um, socially because, you know, a lot of writers, you, you end up meeting each other at conferences and things like this. And I, I remember being so excited. And even then, I didn't think, you know, I could do it. And then, you know, I read all the season one books. I read all the season two books. And that's when I started to think, like, maybe, maybe I could do this. Maybe this is something I'd want to do. And writing about Mega Man 3 led me to writing a lot of essays about games and then also writing my own games and things like that. So it has been a very fortunate path, you know, to turn something that I've loved, you know, since I was a kid into something I can do professionally as well. And then I teach... Yeah, I'm a college professor too, and I, I teach some games courses. So okay. it's, it's been nice to be able to take that stuff and then bring it into the classroom. So just in a couple of weeks, I'm starting this video game writing course, uh, which I've never taught before. So I'm really excited to, to jump in the classroom. I mean, the virtual classroom. Sure. Uh, and do that in a few weeks. Oh, that's cool. So why Mega Man 3 then? So three is my favorite, you know, so and, and that's kind of the premise of the book in some ways. Of course. Is, because, of course, the, and the obvious question is why not two? I think to you know, and this kind of feeds back into my Nintendo and not Super Nintendo answer because okay. uh, I I think to I, I can see why people think it's better, and I accept that. Right, right. <laughs> Me personally, I like three more. There's a lot of reasons in the book. You know, it has you know. Um, I'm trying to remember what my original reasons were. Really, the slide. The slide. Yeah, that's a big one because I was going to bring that up, up quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but I just overall the music. I love all that stuff, you know. And I like the story of it more. You know, it's the one where Akira Kinomura, the director, left, mm-hmm. and they kind of have to figure out how do we transition this from being just this kind of singular vision into this entity that's going to outlast this one person. And I think that's kind of a, a, a universal story for a lot of game franchises. You know, moving out of the '80s into the '90s, and then certainly to the present. Of course, and speaking of Kedomura, like this this man, you could have a Netflix series on this guy. Like he literally disappeared. No one knew where he was. Obviously, he's alive, and you you bring it up in the book and stuff. But and also, I had no idea. I thought it was KJ Inafune this whole time. That was the original Mega Man, not Kedomura. You know what I mean? And you again, this is what I love about Boss Fight books: is you get the history and the lore of everything. It's not just the one sided opinion of that player's experience with the video game, right? Yeah, and the story really fascinated me too, and I had no idea when I started because I kind of initially what I envisioned was that you know the book would be a lot about retro gaming collecting, um, and then about the game, and then a tiny little bit about the background, and then the more I dug into the background, the more that stuff started to rise as it became more interesting to me. I thought it'd be more interesting to the reader. I also I never even heard of Kitamura, uh, and then the story of his disappearance is just so uh, absurd, you know, and. You know, and I can't remember if I included this in the book or not. And I remember it was something that we deliberated cutting. And maybe we did end up cutting it. But, you know, I reached out to Capcom for information about, you know, Mega Man 3 and if, if they'd want to collaborate. And, and then initially they did. They were going to talk to us. And then when I told them, my first question was like, what happened to Akira Kitamura? That's really all I want to know. Right. <laughs> Where is he? And they just immediately said, like, we're out. You know, <laughs> we, we are not talking with you anymore. Good luck, sir. And, you know, it's, wow. there's still a lot of mystery out there. He had a blog about a year or two ago, right. and then he was talking about Mega Man on it, and then he, he shut it down. You know, he said, Capcom reached out to me, and now I'm shutting down my blog. It's it's a mystery. And it's so crazy. And all the little tidbits, like always in all Boss Fight books, too, like, I don't know, it was based on, like, Power Rangers and stuff like that. Like, I just thought it was just someone who came up with this idea. But it seems like everything that's a video game based in Japan is from something that they're inspired by. Yeah, and that was really interesting to me. And, you know, I'm so thankful that um, Michael Williams, the, one of the editors of Boss Fight Books, you know, he uh, speaks fluent Japanese and mm. translates. So he got me all these materials, and I was able to read all this stuff that had not been available before in English. And that really led me into so many interesting paths. Because, yeah, it seems so obvious once you think about it. Like, oh, okay, I see how it's kind of like the monster of a week, like in right. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. But I never would have thought that as a kid, you know, especially because, like, okay, Mega Man was first for Americans, you know, ah, or true. outside of Japan. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's so cool. And then the the other thing, obviously, everyone knows it's Rockman in Japan, but Mega Man here. But it was just simple that Rockman name sucked, so they went with Mega Man. Yeah, which is so funny. But you think they would change like role or base or some oh, of those other names because it doesn't right. make any sense. Like Mega and Roll, you know, it's, it's a, true. makes a lot less sense. Oh my god! And plus, also the other thing, the poor sales for the first Mega Man. Who would have known if they didn't take that chance again? 
we wouldn't be here today talking about Mega Man, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's especially interesting considering they thought that that baseball game was going to be the big breakout success. This JRPG about uh, Japanese baseball that the Mega Man team moved on uh, from after Mega Man 1. You know, thankfully, you know, they were able to work on Mega Man 2 in their spare time. So we've gotten this long-running series that's been so successful. And then, obviously, and how's just the gameplay? Okay, I want to touch more on the gameplay because obviously people are going to read the book. I don't want to spoil it too much, but we'll dab in and out of the book as well. What was your favorite state? I'm, I'm again. It's probably in the book too, and I'm sure it is. But what's your favorite? Okay. How about this? What's your favorite Mega Man weapon? Because it's easy for stage and boss and whatever. But how about weapon? What's the one weapon that you think is the best out of all the Mega Man weapons? Wow, that's interesting. Because for for stage, I was thinking, you know, this I kind of like Quick Man stage. Okay. Um, it's the one that immediately jumped out to mind. Now this is now this is going to cheat a little bit, but okay. I like the leaf weapon that you get from Woodman and Mega Man too. You know, really? where it becomes the shield. Yeah. And you just shoot it. I like the idea of having protection in oh, these games. You know, of having okay. a shield that I can just turn on. It's the one that immediately came to mind. You know, so I wouldn't have thought that before this, but it, it immediately jumped to the forefront of my mind. And again, being kids, again, our age, we didn't have the internet playing this game. So we couldn't yeah. cheat. So we had stuff like Nintendo Power, and you touch on all this too. And again, how satisfying was getting your hands on a Nintendo Power, smelling it for the first time, flipping those pages? Like that was just, again, people will never know that feeling again. Uh, I had a subscription, you know, for years as a kid. I remember uh, we did like uh, magazine subscription drives at, right. at our school, and it was the, the first magazine I ever subscribed to. Uh, you know, and it's basically the only way you knew about games at that point in time. Right. It was either that or just going to the store and just look around. And then, you know, that's kind of what started, you know, my interest in thinking about writing about games probably mm. because then I was very much into Electronic Gaming Monthly, you know, after that, you know, which a lot of people who write about games now kind of grew up with in the late 90s and early 2000s. I, I read that religiously for years, you know, in high school. And uh, again, back in the day, uh, you'd figure stuff out for yourself and it'd be so satisfying. That's why these yeah. games worked. And people are looking back like, why did you like these games? Because again, figuring out which boss and which weapon and what does what, like, uh, you talk, you touch on this in the book as well. How satisfying was all that? <laughs> oh, so great. And it's what made the game last more than a half hour, right? Thank because you. Because if you just played the game from start to finish and knew what to do, you know, we're talking about 30, 40 minutes of gameplay probably, but all that mystery is what made it feel like such a engaging experience. And I think that's kind of lost now, um, even with games that try to be retro. So even something like Mega Man 11 or, or Mighty Number no. 9, you know, I, I certainly didn't, didn't experiment and try and figure out. I just like, what's the boss order? Right. I'm, not going to, I'm too old. So just tell me what it is. Exactly. And then I played through it in about a week. And then I thought, great, I never have to return to this ever again, you know, but all the kind of, repetition of those early games i think has stayed with players of our age or even players who discover those games later i think oh my god that's hilarious so yeah and also you said it the slide was one of the things the other things you mentioned that were good that made better than mega man 2 was you had obviously the mega man 2 bosses in the game so right there you don't need to play mega man 2 because you get to play them again right you get a whole boss rush, you know? So basically every good part of Mega Man 2 is inside of Mega Man 3 anyway, you know, plus all the sliding stuff and all the new weapons and Rush, you know, that's what, yeah, actually Rush. Let's not forget about Rush. That's the other one. Rush Rush and the introduction of Proto Man or what what was, it was two names. It was Proto Man and... Yeah, of course. And... uh, Yeah, the, the cinematic introductions to Proto Man add so much. And just, again, but I'm, I still, there's something, the nostalgia factor with Mega Man 2 is, I think Mega Man 3 is probably a better game, but with Mega Man 2, it was, because it was the first one I ever played, I didn't get to play Mega Man 1 first, right? So I played Part 2, and everyone, is, it's always like that. The first version you play, that's the one you really follow, and that's what you compare every subsequent version to, right? So that, that's why I like Mega Man 2. And, that, and you know what, that's kind of the argument of the book, where, you know, one of the things the book comes to is, I played Mega Man 3 first. So at the end, that that's what I liked more. Uh, you know, see, that's, that's really all it is. You know, where uh, I remember getting the Nintendo Power for Mega Man Three, immediately rushing out and begging my parents to rent the game. You know, I had not played Mega Man Two, but the most, the majority of American players played Mega Man Two first. You know, because that was the one that really sold so well. You know, so I really do think it comes down to that, especially since they're all so similar. It's not like Zelda One and Zelda Two, or 
Mario One or Mario Two in America. Right. They're so similar anyway. True. And do you think they should have just stopped at Mega Man Three and then jumped to Mega Man X or whatever the next rendition was supposed to be? Or do you think, like you know, because uh, like you just said, after that four, five, six is pretty much the same, right? I'm of two minds. You know, I think now going back, I think it would have been nice if they stopped. Where three kind of feels like the the culmination of what they did on the NES. Right. But then if you think about it back then, it's like well, they're kind of adding games to a market space that kind of doesn't have much going on. Like it's really late era NES stuff where it's hard for me to imagine what it felt like to be playing the Nintendo in 91, you know, or something like that. Right. Where it probably was nice to have that option of like, Oh, here comes a new Mega Man game. And the other thing I never noticed as a child, the story, like I just played it. Like you bring yeah. it up in the book. Like this makes no sense. They have nothing that has to do with anything and they just go and you figure out as you go. And it's just like, here you go. Yeah, and so many NES games are like that. Right? You know, so many games from that era, you know, and it's not really until the Super Nintendo where even we make an attempt at really engaging with story. And there's, there's counterexamples. There's, uh, you know, Maniac Mansion is, is a good one. But even Final Fantasy, or, or especially Dragon Quest, is so basic, you know. Oh, my God. So when was the first... Okay, how old were you when you played Mega Man 3 for the first time then? It's probably six. Six, okay. And again, like you said, that's what you hold the bar to. Now... What about Mega Man X? Are you a fan of those? I love the X games, yeah, okay. especially that first one. So I, I had to play that one when it first came out. Um, I liked it. Uh, I, I don't like it as much as every as it seems like a lot of people think that those games are better than the original NES yeah. games, and I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree. But I, again, those NES games hold kind of a special place in my heart. And one of my annoyances with Mega Man X as a kid, which I still think is is kind of true. It feels still very similar to the NES games in a way that, like, Mario World feels like such an evolution right. of what was happening in Mario 3, especially if you compare Mario World to Mario 1. And Mega Man X, it's like, okay, well, the bones of that first Mega Man game are still really, really visible. Right. You know, so even to this day, I feel like we haven't really figured out what a modern Mega Man game would look like. We're still just trying to redo the NES era, you know, and that's kind of my critique of all the modern games. Um and when they do try and modernize it, it goes so far away, like Mega Man Legends, which I also enjoyed, you know, sure. on, on PlayStation. But that okay. doesn't even feel like a Mega Man game. So maybe I'm uh, contradicting myself. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to know, too. But it was perfect. Because uh, do you think there is a way of making a good 3D Mega Man game? I don't know. You know, I wonder about it. Like, is, it, is he like Sonic? Where, right. you know, for years, Sega tried to make uh, a 3D Sonic that would be engaging. And there, there's been, you know, middling levels of success, you know, with uh, Sonic Adventures, probably most people's favorite. But really, Sonic Mania is the one that most people seem to think was the best Sonic game in 20 years. And it really just feels like Sonic 3.5. Um, so is Mega Man like that? Or could you kind of iterate it like Mario Odyssey? Like, what is the mm. Mario Odyssey equivalent? Right. To Mega Man, and I don't know. I don't. Maybe that doesn't exist. Maybe it's like Castlevania. Like a lot of those old franchises from the '80s seem traps. Castlevania, mm -hmm. Contra, they yeah, all just kind of go back to the well. And maybe that's just because Nintendo's not, you know, at the helm. See, but look what they did with Metroid, though. So could Mega Man maybe turn into like a first-person type of game? That'd be written. now. Didn't one of them do it? Wasn't the PlayStation Two Mega Man X? A first-person game, or am I imagining that this happened? I don't remember any first... Again, you, you might know more than you. Frick, you got a ton of video games behind you, so who am I to talk? I don't well, remember there's, there's personally. There's so many people who know... Yeah, they know so much more about the X games <laughs> than I do. I remember Mega Man X8 on PS2. There's something about it that's true. Maybe it's just an open-world... Not open-world, but a 3D action game, and that's what's confusing me. Like a Devil May... Maybe like a Devil May Cry game, but Mega oh. Man could be interesting. Oh, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, but then how would they lay out the bosses? Because the whole lore, again, about Mega Man is picking yeah. the stages, you know? So it would be... It would, yeah. Like you said, it wouldn't feel like a Mega Man game. I think that's what... It's such a great idea... I the time but now thinking forward it, it trapped them in a box sort of right yeah i think so you know i i think they're just going to continue to remake kind of the older Mega Man games in that style you know maybe we'll see like a battle network or something like that things sure. that push against it a little bit but yeah i'm hard pressed to think that they're gonna nail a 3d Mega Man in the next couple of years but, but maybe i'll be wrong because i didn't think Mega Man 11 was going to happen mm. when i wrote Mega Man 3 and that's right. kind of alluded to in the book and then it's here people love it you know what about a mega man maker like super mario maker so you know a, a guy online made one um and oh. it's called mega man maker okay. and it's, it's pretty good you know so um i interviewed him 
a couple years ago for Kotaku, actually, and it, it's pretty good. It's free. Right. And then that guy got hooked up with um, the developer of 20XX, if you ever play that, which is like the roguelike Mega Man X kind of game on Steam, and okay. I think it's on Switch and PlayStation now. And in the, in the sequel to that, there is a Mega Man X maker um, involved oh. with it, you know? So I think we're going to start to see some interesting levels from people pretty soon when it comes out. Now, the other thing you touched on on the book, too, was the differences between the Famicom and the NES. Again, a lot of people do not know this back in the day. It's not like how it is now. Like, when a PlayStation drops, it's the same all over the world, same thing with Xbox, whatever, right? But back in the day, no, it would be two differences, and they look completely different. That was, like, if someone brought over, okay, I'm going to share my story, but did you know someone who had a Famicom growing up? No, never. I had no idea it was even from Japan. I knew nothing. (laughs) See, I had a, a friend of mine who lived across the street, and he had one. But here's, oh, a, wow. here's a screwed up thing. Poor guy. He was so embarrassed by it that he only ended up telling me that he owned it. Because everyone had an NES. And then you go over, I see this like white and reddish looking thing. The controls look totally different too. And I'm like, this is not Nintendo. He's like, yeah, it is. Look, I even have the adapter. I just put in the regular Nintendo games and then I could play it. And I'm like, wow. Like, I don't know. I would assume that would be more expensive than a regular NES at the time. Because here as a kid, I'm probably thinking, oh, your parents are just cheap. But no, it would be the other way around, right? <laughs> that would be my assumption, that you'd have to import it right. or find it at a specialty store. Or see, you're not walking into Sears and buying the Famicom in 1987, you know? Oh, my God. And then, yeah, and then even, like, the regions, like, North American games wouldn't yeah. work in Europe and vice versa in, in Asia and stuff like that. Like, all these little small things. And the funny thing is, no one really traveled back then. I could understand them doing it now to try and control it. But back then... Like, who would go to North America just to buy a video game and then go back to Europe? Like, you know what I mean? It would make no sense. Yeah, especially because games, especially then, were seen as such a kid kind of hobby, you know, where it's hard enough to convince a parent to buy you a game, let alone to send you to Japan to pick up Famicom games, you know? Right. And and we missed out on so many interesting titles, you know? That's what I enjoyed about collecting for the Famicom is trying to get games that, you know, we didn't get North American versions of, you know, like Cotton, which I read about in the book, which was Kitamura's game after he left Capcom. And it's so interesting because it's kind of like a a Mega Man Gaiden game. It feels just like Mega Man, but it iterates further on it where not only do you pick the levels, you pick the components of the robot protagonist, you know, so you can kind of customize how your, your play style, you know, so it's a really, really interesting game. It's not probably as tight, as a Mega Man title, but sure. really interesting if you like Mega Man, and that's stuff we missed out on. Yeah, no kidding. It's it's so funny. So when you play these Japanese games, obviously everything's in Japanese. How do you get through them? How do you know what to do? Well, you know, I think the, the Famicom is the perfect place to begin if you're interested in importing, because, you know, like we were talking about, there's not a lot of story, you know, so there's really not much there anyway. I so see. as long as you just keep in start, you're probably going to get to a gameplay <laughs> section, you know, so like, I, the games I like on the Famicom are, are like the, the Splatterhouse uh, Famicom game is really interesting. Oh. It's like a chibi, cute Splatterhouse. Okay, okay. So it's very, very funny. Um, I like this game called YY World 2, which is a, uh, it's Konami, and it's like all the Konami characters thrown together mm. in a platformer. You oh, know, wow. so it's like Contra and Castlevania, and you get to pick your guy and wow. go through the levels. Very, very good. And also, you know, the game I like is uh, Star Wars, where it's not a good game at all, okay. but it's just really, really interesting because, um, and the angry video game nerd made this famous uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago now, right. but Darth Vader turns into a crab as the first boss, and wow. it's just truly a trip to see, you know, the Japanese interpretation of what the Star Wars mythos should look like in a video game. <laughs> An- another tidbit, the contest where the kids in Japan would submit their robot master designs and then the best ones would get picked. So here you're playing this as a kid, and maybe that's what lured us in as kids, because it looked like another kid made this, and it, they did. Yeah, it's so cool, and, you know, it's it's daring that they did that, you know, and, and there's been some back and forth about that, of, like, how true was that? Did they design them and then just look for things that kind of looked like what they designed? But I like the idea that maybe the kids did design them. You know, maybe there were a bunch of Japanese school children <laughs> drawing these robot masters in their free time. I think I think that's a sweet kind of addition to, to the Mega Man series. And it's so funny how, back then, games were rushed, like nothing. Like, And some of them were just, like, fil- supposed to be filler games, and look how great they are. And nowadays, if you rush a game, you can't even put it out to market. Like, it, it, like again, people do not realize how... And plus, the games that were made before by these teams are now made by some guy in his basement because of all the technology that's available, right? 
yeah, it's absolutely astonishing the way that, that game development has changed. Where, you know, Mega Man 2 and 3 were, you know, AAA games for their time. Six people making them in a couple months, you know, and, and that's what it was. Where now, as, as you know, you know, something like Cyberpunk, we need a thousand people working for years on overtime, you know, uh, just constantly crunched, you know, and it's, su- it's such a shift, you know, and then that's balanced by, you know, things like Undertale, where it's one guy in his basement making the game. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how it's shifted so dramatically, so quickly, too, you know, compared to other art forms. You know, if you look at, like, you know, like literature, pretty similar to how it's been the last hundred years, where this has just dramatically changed so quickly. And the other thing, again, as a kid, you don't know either, that all the names in the credits weren't their real names. Now, did you mention in the book why yeah. Capcom enforced this? Was, it, were there, was there a reason behind it? Yeah, so this uh, I was always curious about, um, and it turns out that this was widespread. I mean, as you know, in, in Japan, because we, you see it in so many Japanese games, but the reason was they didn't want their, their programmers and designers poached from other companies. Oh, so that's everyone right. had to use these. Okay. Yeah, so it's very strange, you know. So um, wow. that's part of Kitamura's frustration is that he wasn't receiving credit mm. for kind of creating the series, and that's part of why he helped form uh, Takaru which was his company after he left Capcom was we're going, and it was very forward thinking, you know, because it's, it, it's addressing a lot of problems. now it's like, we're going to give, we're going to treat the developers like artists and give them responsibility and credit for creating these things that people love. And that's so crazy. So when did they stop enforce? Like when did they actually start putting real people's names up in the credits? Do you know what game had actually made the turn? Hmm. Now, for Capcom, I'm not sure, but it generally faded by the 90s. So by the mid-90s, it's pretty much gone. Um, But for Capcom, because certainly by the PlayStation era, you know, they're using real names, you know, once we're in Resident Evil and and things like that. So it had to probably be around Mega Man X, somewhere in that that range. I I bet it's like Mega Man Soccer or some kind of (laughs) obscure asinine title. (laughs) Like, we need to know who, we need to let the people know who made Mega Man Soccer. And obviously, you can't talk about Mega Man 3 without talking about the debug feature that got still shipped in the game where, obviously, everyone knows, was it left or right? I can't, Now I don't remember which one it was. On the second controller. I think it's up and start That's on it. the second player. Right? Up and select. Something like other, that. Right? And then after, like, it made the game so much easier, obviously. Now, how did you find out about this? Was it through the magazines or was it through word of mouth? I'm pretty sure it was word of mouth because I definitely remember these things going around the schoolyard, you know, and, and you heard a lot of crazy things like, oh, you can get to Akuma in Street Fighter 2 if you do X, Y, and Z. And then, of course, this doesn't this doesn't turn out to be true. So I'm sure that somebody read it in a magazine and then it got spread around. Uh, but I and I'm curious what you thought. I, I always thought that this was intended to be in the game. That Me this too. Was Easter egg. Exactly. I right. thought it was like one of those cheats, like obviously the Contra code, like yeah. it was just put in there just to help you out. And okay, I knew about the okay, it was holding down right on the second controller. I had no idea about holding up and A on the second to freeze the enemies in animation. That just blew my mind when you said yeah. that. I was like, okay, I knew about the other one, but I don't know about this one. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, and it really speaks to how quickly the game was shipped, you know, and how behind it was because. You know, one thing the book gets into is Inafune was not immediately the project manager. He was brought on after a lot of difficulties with the project, and he's like the cleanup man, basically, for Mega Man 3. So that that's why it got kind of swept through. <laughs> now, how did you do it? Because obviously, when you had friends over, no one wants to sit there and hold down right or whatever. Did you have a plan? Did you put down tape? Or did you put a heavy object on it? What was your thing to cheat with? Oh, I used rubber bands. And <laughs> I, I used rubber bands like this. <laughs> Forever, because I remember vividly, I was playing Gran Turismo 3 okay. with friends a couple years, probably 10 years later, and I remember there was one oval track, and we just rubber banded it and just set it up, and every hour we'd go back and restart the race, it was like an endurance race, and just kept going all night getting credits and things like that, so the rubber bands, they still work. <laughs> I think I ended up using like a heavy book or something, like an encyclopedia or something, I just lay it on the controller that way, because... I don't remember tying anything down or using tape. I ha- it had to be something heavy, I think, that I used. Kids today cannot imagine that. Right? I, I think can't about imagine like, this. my niece or nephew doing this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, though. Nothing like this would be available nowadays because, not, yeah. not to say that it won't finish, it won't get shipped unfinished or whatever, but to have like these little things to get into. Now it's all back doors, all you, you could get in through online and all that. You don't have to physically do it through the game, right? 
So, yeah, kids will never know. And kids will never know. The other thing kids will never know is the sluggish, dreaded chug that we had to experience. When too many enemies on screen, too many fireballs, whatever it is, everything starts flashing. And you're like, oh, my God, why am I in slow motion? (laughs) Yeah, the blinking enemies, that was always always great, you know. And uh, I I enjoyed that, you know, in uh, 2D shooters. I love 2D shooters. And anytime that happened, you'd be like, oh, thank God. I have a moment of respite here to to kind of collect to myself. <laughs> and obviously everyone knows I like to talk about weird shit. So the weird spin-offs. What are some of your favorite weird spin-offs that you could remember from the Mega Man series? Because like you said, they had soccer, they had a, like a Wily type of game too. Yeah, when I was a kid, I was just blown away that Mega Man soccer existed. And I've still never played it because I'm just truly disturbed by the sheer existence of it, that someone thought, like, you know what we need for a futuristic robot game? Soccer. Let's have them play soccer. It just seems so strange to me. <laughs> like, of all the things to to do with Mega Man, you know, I think some of the interesting... I think that one's very interesting. I think the kart racing game on PlayStation 1 is also very bizarre. That's right. Um, I love that Mega Man and drives a giant rush dog car is awesome. Um, I also, you know, the one I didn't know about that I learned about while writing the book was the board game for nes um where it's it's basically a board game that mega man is not even in you're basically playing as dr light versus dr wily in a board game and that just seems extremely strange to me where who out there was like you know who i would really like to play as dr light the engaging character of dr light oh my god no kidding right and the other reason why i love your book too is because you really touch on all the Mega Mans. Yeah, it's more based on Mega Man 3, but you really go through the whole history. Like, you even mentioned Mighty Number no. 9. Like, you go all the way up to whatever Mega Man was out. I think it was 10, and then 11 came out after the book came out. So, obviously, you didn't touch on that one. But you touched on everything going all the way up. And I, I love that because, again, I love Mega Man. And it's, again, looking back now, it's like, I, if I was to play for the first time, I don't think I would like it. But there's something about it. Like, I still ended up buying the anniversary collections. I still went back and played it. And I'm like, why am I torturing myself? This is so friggin' hard. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, it's just one of those things. That I think it's one of those series that, unlike the Mario series, because as they progress, they obviously get better too. It, it has so much nostalgia factor to it. Yeah, what's nice is about all those games, you can jump in and play for 20 minutes and get a full experience, you know, and it's kind of, if you grew up in the 80s, it's kind of something you can return to all the time. Like, cause like you, I remember being 20 and playing the anniversary collection on PS2. I remember very distinctly my then-girlfriend walking in as I was screaming. She's <laughs> like, why are you yelling at this thing that looks like it's for babies from 20 years ago? Um, but it's but it's the thing you have a lifelong relationship with. You know, you can go back to in a way that, you know, the Mario games, uh, they, they're nostalgic, but they're not exactly the same because they evolved so much and they've changed so much. You know, that's interesting. So what do you think is makes Mega Man so hard? Is it the fact that you bounce off enemies? The fact that you could fall in so many holes? The bosses? Like, What is the thing that makes it so good? Because the levels aren't that long if you think about it, right? So, Or is it just the level design, period? Yeah, I think it's the level design. I think okay. it's the, the level design and the enemy layout where there's so many insta-kill spaces right. in almost every level. You know, and I think that's really what it is, where it, it's an endurance test to get to the boss. Mm-hmm. And then so many times, if you're like me, the first time you get to the boss, you have, you know, one life, <laughs> then you die. And then yes. I think what's so daunting about it is like, okay, I've got to do it again. I've got to get all the way back, you know, and, and that just, like, for me, I think the hardest part of a Mega Man game is like not quitting, <laughs> just True. putting the controller down and being like, I cannot do this. I cannot play this level one more time. Right. You know, so I think that's really the challenge. And obviously, we can't talk about Mega Man without the dreaded disappearing blocks. And that sound effect, I, it's still embedded in my brain to this day. Falling, and that's a, what, exactly what you said. You had to walk away sometimes. You're just like, no, I can't. I'm either going to break my Nintendo or break my, my TV. I, I got to go for a walk or something. Well, I still remember the, the first time you see those blocks, you know, there's ground underneath you. And you think, okay, well, this is the hardest thing I've ever seen in a video game. Right. And then you get through it. And then the very next part, there's there's no ground underneath you. Where if you fall, now you die. And I remember even as a kid, just stopping and just staring at the screen. Just like, you know, scratching my eyes and just thinking, this can't possibly be true. This can't be happening. My God. <laughs> and obviously, Wiley, you got to talk about... The bad guy in every video game, right? Now, are you more of a... Okay, obviously you're going to say Wily, I would assume. Wily or, or Sigma? Wily, right? Uh, 
Well, oh, I, okay. you know, I, I think I, I, Sigma's more interesting. Okay. Right? So, like, Sigma has a backstory, he's got goals. Wiley is just like evil Dr. Light. Uh, but, I, I mean, Wiley's more fun. You know, Wiley fits the tone and the theme and the world of Mega Man so well. And, you know, it's just, it's nice to see him in the games. You know, like, it's it's sort of like Bowser, where it's like, okay, well, he's not very interesting. But you're like, oh, okay, I'm glad he's there, you know? So where does he rank on your, like, villains of, of, of old school video games? Because, like I said, there's Bowser, there's Wiley, like, there's so many, like, for obviously from the Zelda series, right? So... Where would you rank Wiley up there? Top five, maybe? I think he's got to be in the top five, right? Because just the, if we're talking about 8-bit final bosses that yes. are really memorable, I think it has to be Dr. Wiley and Bowser, Ganondorf. They have to be in there. Because you think of like other classic games like Contra or DuckTales, the, the endings are not as memorable that is as true. probably Mega Man. You're you know, right. where if I'm thinking the final boss of DuckTales is what's Morgana, right? The the witch duck, right? When you're And you're going up the... The oh, road that's right. The yeah, 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 yeah. And that's probably not as iconic as Wiley is and has remained all these years. Do you think they should have, like, eventually made him into a robot himself? Instead of always having these different... Because oh. he was always in that eggshelled saucer-flying thing, and then he would morph it to something else, to something else, to something else. Wouldn't you like to have him, like, turn into, like, a huge... Sort of like Sigma, because Sigma's uh, a robot, right? So, in sort of that vein... I think if he does transform, he has to transform back, though, right? Because it has it has to be like Bowser, where at the end of the day, uh, he has to be able yeah. to revert back into whatever you need to happen next. You know, like, because, I mean, the Mega Man games, they can't really change, right? It always has to be that basic kind of premise. Where, I mean, the X games, I mean, that seems to be what people like about the X games, that they like them more, is that the story changes and evolves as you go. Now, my argument would be like, okay, but it's a crappy story, so why do I care <laughs> that it keeps evolving and changing, where... You know, I think it was Mega Man. I remember renting, I think it was probably Mega Man X4 or 5 on PlayStation. There's this long okay. anime cutscene. Really? I remember just being so mad. I'm like, I do not need this for a Mega Man game. I, I don't care. Like, really? I, I don't need this asinine story. And I like anime. So this is, I'm just saying, uh, you know, anime is bad. It's just like, come on. It's, it's Mega Man. Now, were you into the actual anime back in the day? Because they did have like, what, maybe a season or two of it, I, I believe. I watched it, but I always remember thinking this is nothing like <laughs> like a Mega Man at all. I remember now. Wasn't he also in the Captain N uh, cartoon as well? Wasn't Mega Man there? Oh, sometimes? that's right. Yes, that? you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. He and was. I remember too. liking that. We were especially like I remember Game Boy being a character and being very into that idea that Game Boy had come to life and was sentient. <laughs> that's hilarious I totally forgot about that show that's right so what did you leave out of the book that you wanted to include that Gabe was just like no okay your book's too long or it's it's not doesn't really fit in with what you're trying to say here oh wow so now it's, it's been about five years since I was working on the book with Gabe uh, kind of week to week to week going over edits so I, I don't have the, the clearest memory, but we did cut a lot out of it. I remember we probably cut like 80 pages out of it. And what I think wow. we probably cut were a lot of things about retro game collecting and about the YouTube scene, because okay. that was originally pitched as the main thrust of the book. Right. But kind of as we were talking about, as we kind of got into the Kinemora stuff, that's actually a lot more interesting, you know? And then, you know, I'm glad that's the way it works because now it would seem like if there were a hundred pages about what, you know, retro game YouTube was like in 2010. Mm-hmm. I don't think that actually is very interesting. You know, the the further and further we get away from that time period, you know, it's kind of interesting, but it but it you know it's just one point in a much longer history. So it was a lot of that kind of stuff, and you know, I think there was going to be some about me in Japan. You know, so I, I went to Japan and I kind of you know bought up a bunch of retro games, and I think there were scenes of that in the book, okay. or longer scenes if they're there now, and sure. all that stuff got trimmed. Uh, rightfully so <laughs> do you have another video game in mind I, not not to say you want to do it for boss fight but obviously yes for boss fight but is there something else you want to write about or is you're like no nah, I did it done it now nah, I just want to move on and do other shit no I would love to write another boss fight book and I've thought about often like what, what would it be and what would I pitch them and I haven't pitched them anything since because I, I want it to be the right idea you know they've already I think what what is unfortunate I mean, for me, not for anyone else, is they've already done a couple books about Final Fantasy and okay. Chrono Trigger and RPGs. Right. I think that's probably what I would have wanted to do, but they have a cover, you know, and they have Final Fantasy VI coming out. I think 
you know, I flirted with Final Fantasy 15. I think that's, I, you know, based on Mega Man 3, I think I'm kind of interested in these games that are not completely beloved, but are really interesting and right. are very good, but maybe not considered the best in their respective series. And I feel like that's a really interesting game for a lot of reasons. You know, so maybe that game, and it'd be nice to do something modern after, you know, going from an 8-bit game to, a you know, a kind of current generation game could be interesting. So not only did you write Mega Man 3, you've wrote a ton of other stuff, but you also are writing for Retromania Wrestling, like I mentioned off the top. Now, how did you get involved with Retrosoft? How did you get involved with Mike? Did you guys know each other or was it just an opening and you applied? How, how did that whole process work? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny story where uh, probably two years ago, um, almost to the date, I was on Twitter and I saw footage of Retromania Wrestling, which is like... Um, a retro wrestling arcade kind of game, so very much like WrestleFest. And in fact, since then, they've gotten the official rights to be the official sequel of WrestleFest yep. from Technos, which is awesome. Um, but I saw the footage, and I was just, you know, very excited. I love that game. I love pro wrestling. I still watch. I watched Dynamite last night. I watch, <laughs> you know, I watch wrestling every week. Uh, I've, I've subscribed to New Japan forever. Um, I've, I've been to Cork and Hall to see Japanese oh, wrestling. Oh, shit. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so like, I have big... Big fan of wrestling. Before right. COVID, I would go to local shows here often. Yeah, same, um, same So I, I saw this, and I had written this short story about pro wrestling that had been published at um, this magazine, the Indiana Review, and I reached out to Mike. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know who Mike was. I reached out to the Twitter feed sure. and said, like, hey, this game looks amazing. I just want to let you know I'm excited. I'm going to buy it when it comes out. You know, if you ever need any writing for the game, you know, don't hesitate to get in touch. And I didn't think anything of it at all. Right, right. Um, and, you know, a couple hours later, they wrote back, and they're like, well, we're actually thinking of doing a story mode. Um, let's let's talk about it. So I, I talked to Mike on the phone, and I heard what he was thinking of and who was going to be part of the roster, and they asked me to pitch on it, you know, and they asked me to see the wrestling story that I wrote. I sent it to them, and they're like, okay, well, he knows his stuff, and he loves wrestling, obviously, right. and he knows the terms and everything. So I wrote, basically, uh, a pitch of, like, here's what I would do in the story mode. And that was it. They liked the pitch, and, you know, we've been working on it from there. So I'm really excited for it to come out. Um, you know, it, it's not going to be – and I'm sure every person who's ever written a game has <laughs> said this. Like, it's not everything we envisioned, you know, at the start. where We had to, like, de-scope it down. Right, right. So it's, I think it's only going to be the first three chapters that release, and then the, the final two chapters will be released later. I but I think right. people who love wrestling – will like it where it's for wrestling fans it's by a wrestling fan like i tried to get the spirit right okay so would you ever want to be like a writer for a wrestling show is that something of your interest oh, yes yeah i mean my dream to be <laughs> i've joked about this with my wife i'm like you know it would be great if i quit my job as a professor and became a heel manager because that's actually my dream is to be professor Payne and to be real <laughs> condescending and to just you know get all the heat and just you know cut condescending promos and be a jerk that i, I would always want to be a heel that's what i would like to do <laughs> so now how when you're writing for a video game how, how does it work are, are you writing just in your mind first or are you is, does Mike come up to you and be like look this is what we want to do can you fill in the gaps how does it all that work it depends so I, I have um, I've done a couple projects since then that I, I can't talk about yet because they sure. haven't been like fully announced but it but each kind of client wants something different you know with okay. Mike what they basically had was here's what we can do in terms of what the cutscenes will look like you know and here's the roster what would you do so I basically pitched oh. a kind of you know um, a branching narrative and the player, you know, there's factions that they can join or be aligned against, and right. they can cut heel promos, cut babyface promos. You know, if you're not a wrestling fan, I'm sure you are if you're listening to this. Babyface is <laughs> a good guy, heel's a bad guy. You know, and that the player could go back and forth, right, where they can become a tweener, you know, where they oh. could they could be switching as they go, you yes. know, between. With, uh, you know, I, I said, to, like, think of the story as, like, there's three rails. You know, it's like three tr tracks. There's the, the face track, the tweener track, the heel track, and they can kind of jump between them okay. as they go. So the difficulty is like making it make sense for a player who is face the whole time or switching constantly back and forth, you know, is, uh, is kind of the, the difficulty. So is it revolved around one character that you could only use for story mode? Or is it like, like you said, there's branching paths, but are there different stories for different wrestlers? So, I mean, that's the hope is that the DLC will, will – hopefully the game will be popular enough that there will be DLC story mode. But right now, okay. the one thing that uh, Mike wanted was uh, John Morrison, you know, who's Johnny Retro in the game, to be the protagonist. Right. You know? So oh, it was kind okay. of like pitching a story about him. You know? So the story begins where he's coming off a big injury. 
and he's got a rehab with Stevie Richards. Uh, and we don't know what caused the injury when the game starts, but they allude to it as being pretty bad. Um, and we kind of find out as we go through the game of like what happened, who caused the injury, um, how does Johnny react to this? You know, and of course the player is making all those decisions as they go. So you start kind of like from ground zero where, you know, Johnny thinks he's never getting back to the big stage again, you know, so he's got to kind of start in like high school auditoriums and gyms and work, work his way up, you know. Oh, that's hilarious. So what's your favorite, besides Retromania Wrestling, what's your favorite wrestling game of all time? Oh, man. What, you know, it might be the original WrestleFest. Like, that's the one that immediately comes to mind. It's okay. like a game I loved growing up. Of course. Um, but I oh, love the Royal Rumble on Super Nintendo, mine, which I understand mine. is not very good. That's my <laughs> favorite. Great game. So much fun as a it kid. Is. Uh, LJN, which I know is not that great. Right. I mean, later on, I loved Warzone and then the first SmackDown game yes. on PlayStation. Those PlayStation games. Oh, and then, of course, I mean, thank God I remembered, uh, you know, WCW versus NWO is Everyone the big one. You no know, Mercy so many is another one. Yeah, and then, you know, I liked um, a Fire Pro as well. The most recent Fire Pro I thought okay. was great. Uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. And I have a bunch of, like, import wrestling games, you know, but I, I find they're a little difficult to kind of get a handle on, you know, with, with through the Japanese. So me and Mike probably touched on it, but again, I don't, this is when it was first in development or middle way. So this is literally a wrestling game where anyone could pick up. It's not a pure simulation. Like even these guys have put it out on social media, the controller scheme of it, it looks pretty simple. Anyone could pick up and play. And if you're of old school and you don't want to like play the new type of video games, I would say this is perfect, right? That's my understanding. And you know, what's crazy about writing games. Like I haven't played it. <laughs> so, oh, shit. so I've written, I know and this is like not the most uncommon thing in the world where I still have not played the game. So okay. I've seen it. I've seen a lot of footage. Like sure. I saw footage early on that, that people hadn't seen and I had an idea of what it would play like. And you know, generally what I, what I was told and what I believe is like, it's like a, a wrestle fest, but slightly deeper. So it's certainly not fire pro. I don't, I don't think anyone wants it to be fire pro. Of I course. wouldn't want it to be fire pro. Um, but yeah, it's a pick up and play arcade. I, I would think about it like NBA Jam, you know, ah, where that's the, a good one. Where you can immediately jump in, but there's some nuance there, you know, once you kind of start figuring it out. So I think it's going to be not as button mashy as the original WrestleFest. <laughs> that's awesome. So before we get into the worst story of the week, so obviously you're a huge wrestling fan. What do you prefer? Are you an AEW fanboy, WWE, or are you one? Are you like me? I just love wrestling altogether. I really don't care. I love it all. Uh, I probably, you know, I'm probably more of an AEW mark <laughs> these days where, sure. you know, that is what I'm watching. You know, most of the time I have fallen off WWE with okay. the exception of the big pay-per-views, but like, sure. I have the network. I'm going to watch Royal Rumble. I'm not going to miss that or Mania. Of course. Uh, New Japan, I used to watch every single show. Um, since the pandemic, I haven't watched it quite as much, but I, you know, so I still have to finish Wrestle Kingdom. But yeah, I, I love Japanese wrestling, and, and that's kind of my, my sweet spot. So okay. WWE, like I, I mean, that's what I grew up loving. Like I, I grew up in the Northeast, uh, Same, yeah. you know. So I was a, a little Hulkamaniac as a kid, and you know, loves the Undertaker. Undertaker was my guy. Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. I don't like Hulk now, obviously, um, but I loved Shawn Michaels as a kid. You know, Same so. Here. I'm, I, yeah, I'm being from era. Canada. It was blasphemy because of the whole Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, yeah. and I'm like, nah, man, I'm HBK. <laughs> I loved him. I loved Hart, you know, and I, I loved the Attitude Era, you know. So that was my my bread and butter um, stain too. I liked so yeah, all that stuff. I still watch. I basically watch everything. <laughs> like I've, I've been watching Impact since AEW was kind of crossed over there. True. And, you know, I'll, I'll watch it all. So now. If someone was to give you the rain, say, okay, to make it easier, I'm not going to give it a whole school. Okay, if people are like, because everyone chirps on Raw, because that's the one everyone likes to chirp on. If someone was to be like, hey, Sal, here, write whatever the hell you want. We, you could bring in whatever wrestler you want from any era. How would you fix Raw right now? Well, I think the easy answer that is impossible is too long. I just think three hours is way too much to to, to have a wrestling show. So. But I understand that they can't they can't shorten it for a variety of complicated reasons. Right. Um, you know, I think what they need to do, and this is not an original thought by any stretch of the imagination, is that they need to make it for adults. And I don't mean that it needs to be the Attitude Era. It, right. it can never be, you know, nineteen nineties 
sophomoric sensibility. Of course. But, but, you know, TV across the board has gotten smarter. You know, like mm. Breaking Bad, Sopranos, all these shows are, like, really complicated. Right. Like, I want the wrestling version of Sopranos, an adult version of what kind of the Attitude Era was, you know, and a mature version. That's what I do. And I watch, a, you know, Raw, and it's like, this is for eight-year-olds for the majority of the show. Like, Alexa Lewis is shooting fireballs, and it's not, it's not my favorite thing in the world. You know, and I like Alexa Bliss, you know. I think the way they book the women has been great. And I wish, you know, like, sometimes I'm like, do we even need all the other stuff? Because, But I think the women, the way they book the women is more old school. Just they're fighting yes. for titles and, you know, that and, and for bragging rights. And the men, it's just always these bizarre. And also, the, without getting attention, it's way too much about the old guys. Uh, it's, I, I don't want to see Goldberg. It's 2021. I don't want to see him anymore. And I think AEW has done a really good job of when the old people come in, they're brought in and bring the young guys over to mm-hmm. put them over. You know, they're managers. Uh, I think there's a way to use the old talents in a good way. Um, the one thing I, I was telling my wife, if I was going to fix Raw and I, <laughs> what I would do, if you're really thinking about like what is the one thing that Vince could do right now to fix it, right. bring Stone Cold back and challenge Vince to a cinematic match. And that <laughs> would bring, I think that's the thing that would do it because he can work a cinematic match, sure. right? You can okay. do it. It doesn't matter how old you are. That, that, that's what I would do. So even though I'm like, get rid of the old guys, I also would like to see Stone Cold. <laughs> See, well, and now you know why they bring him back because for you it's Stone Cold, but for someone else it could be someone like the Big Show because maybe someone grew up on him as being their hero. Like you know, so that's why I assume they do that. But for me, honestly, the one thing again, I, same era as you, attitude. The one thing I would bring back is more factions, more stables. Because like that, everyone gets on screen. You could build characters, then they could branch off and come back. And I hate the fact that every tag team is destined to eventually split. Because to me, then I'm not invested in the tag team division. Because I'm like, okay, these guys are just either going to splinter off and, and that's it. Like, you know what I mean? So what's the point? Oh, yeah. I mean, they've booked tag teams terrible for 30 years <laughs> at this point. You know, that's one thing I really like about, you know, when I was getting into the indie scene a couple of years ago, it's like, oh, the Young Bucks, like, wow, it, they, they're main eventing shows. It's being treated really seriously. Right. And I know people criticize their work style. I, I really like it. I think it's interesting and kind of ironic, but... But yeah, I wish that kind of style was in WWE because even uh, Otis and, and his partner, like, why why break them up? Like, what are, what are either of those guys going to do now? And they do and especially like the Iconics were one of my favorite things okay. in WWE. Yeah, like, there's wow, another good they example. Really that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? So I don't know. Well, again, we're we're just talking as wrestling fans what we we would like to see, right? But obviously, we do not know what's going behind scenes and whatnot, and that's the problem with everyone critiquing. It's like, what would you do? If you had the restraints as they have, like, you know, it's easy to just say, oh, I want to do this. I'm sure there's people there who do want to do that. But again, either for Vince McMahon or ratings or networks or pleasing and getting merchandise for the smaller kids. It's like politics, right? Yeah, we have no control. And I'm sure they're making, I I know they're making a buttload of money selling t-shirts to children. So why would they want to cater to, to me, an aging 36 year old man? (laughs) You know, so it makes sense what they're doing, um, you know, completely. Although it's not what I want. <laughs> well, and then that's why, like you said, we have AEW, you have New Japan now, you have Impact, like all these, even MLW starting to creep up now and yeah. putting out some good product. Ring of Honor too, well, they go, they went back to like their old school style of wrestling, right? And then not even to mention NWA, who's been in the dark for a while because of the pandemic, uh, right? There's so yeah, much I mean, good Power wrestling. Power was great. I watched every episode of Power before, See? you know, the pandemic kind of killed it. You know, so yeah, I like that. So I like things that just feel like a little grittier and a little more like an alternative. You know, I liked ECW as being a, a Northeast yeah, kid, you know, growing course. up. Like I, I, I like just having that option. And that's what it is. Like you don't want to feel like you're being monopolized and when, because a lot of people are like, well, if you don't like it, don't watch it. Well, you couldn't really do that like 10 years ago when yeah. it was only WWE to watch. You know what I mean? And now that the internet and everything opening up and so much places to work, now you're like, okay, if I don't like you, I'm going to watch here because there's more than enough to keep me entertained, right? So eventually oh. it, it'll go back to how Vince had to sort of change. And here I'm saying Vince, but who knows whoever's going to be in charge at the time when this eventually happens. When AEW or someone else creeps up, just neck and neck for real, not just here a week there or a week there, but to literally compete with SmackDown and Raw, that's when they'll change their philosophy again like they had to when it happened with WCW and Nitro, right? Yeah, and I'll be interested to see, like, what, what does Triple H do when he presumably has the book? You know, what's it, what's it going to look oh, like I can't wait. You know, when, when he takes over? Because I mean, NXT for so while was, right? so, was so great. So that's what I hope that uh, that Raw and SmackDown turn into the big show of NXT. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that would be nice. That that's all we would need. It's just a little more mature. Like bring the kids along, of course. You know that's important, but just just yeah. a little more adult. Yeah, no kidding. And then you could have main event for for the kid shows because when we were growing up, that's what like challenge and superstars was for. And then Raw came yeah. around, and that was the whole thing of Raw. It was like, oh, it's a little bit more mature. It's more for teenagers. Then obviously went out of whack with the attitude era. But that was the whole premise of Raw. Like they wanted something as an alternative. Like how, uh, Raw was almost like the original NXT if you think about it. Yeah, what's funny is, like, I mean, Raw started, I was nine, I remember, and I remember thinking, like, this is my favorite wrestling show immediately, because I wanted, at that age, to like the thing that was a little more adult. Like, I didn't want superstars anymore. I didn't didn't want to see Say Your Prayers, Eat Your Vitamins. I wanted to see, you know, the the, the smoking guns. (laughs) 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 The very mature smoking guns. But, like, so I I think it would bring the kids along. You know, I'm sure there are children who like NXT, like that little girl who dressed like Bailey for years, right? right. so yeah no kidding so you ready for the worst story of the week yeah bring it on all right so um have you ever put something in your washing machine or that was left in your pockets that shouldn't have been what's like the weirdest thing you ever found in your washing machine okay well i don't know if it's the weirdest thing but it's the thing i do all the time and it's pens because really okay yeah i'm an idiot uh basically (laughs) it's the moral of the story because you know, so I, I teach during the day, so I always have pens on me, and I put them in my sweaters and my pockets, and I always throw them in the laundry, and it's always causing an uh, issue. The other thing are tissues, which I'm sure everybody does, and the tissues just all over everything. Yes. I just did that this week, so oh. yeah, not a fan. The weirdest thing I could think of as a kid, I don't know why I did this, I wanted my, uh, I guess, my, uh, what's it called? I was, I was going to say my uh, my action figures. That's it. I wanted my action figures to be clean. I don't know why. So when my mom would do the laundry, I would run and throw them in there because we had the old school, obviously, growing up. We didn't have these front loaders or shit, right? So it was the old school top ones, right? So I'd open it and then just toss in my things in there, right, <laughs> to get them washed. And then I would go down before my mom would go and then pull them out. <laughs> Oddly enough, nothing got broken. Everything was fine. Like, yeah, you'd see the nose a bit scraped off or whatever, but whatever. That was just my thing. Were they cleaner? Were they nice and clean after that? I would assume so because I kept doing it. Yeah. Like, unless it was just one of those things where I thought I was doing something wrong and I was getting off on it. I don't know. Again, this is friggin' years ago. <laughs> so I don't know where this week's story took place. It doesn't really say. But a woman was doing her laundry, right? And she loaded it up. It was one of those front loaders. And then she walked to the kitchen, right? So she started hurting a hu- she started hearing a huge thud coming from the washer. She goes, she looks inside, and guess in a million years what she saw was tumbling around in there in water. Oh, God. I feel like it's going to be a snake. I hope it's not a snake. (laughs) Well, it is some sort of animal. It was her pet cat. Oh, no. (laughs) So when she was throwing in the laundry, the cat, when she turned around, the cat must have snuck in. She closed the door, turned it on, and left. Now, the the weird thing is, is the cat survived... I don't know how what temperature she had the water at, whatever, but she said it was like maybe for only a minute. But still, a minute. Like, you, you could wow. drown someone in a minute, right? Especially I feel like cat. I would die in one minute in the washing machine. Well, and then the other thing that she was lucky was, again, it's not those old school washing machines where they don't rinse right away as soon as you hit that cancel button or whatever. So she was able to do that. Now imagine if she had to see her cat die in front of her. Oh, my God. I hope that cat ran away the moment it was rescued. It just found another owner who was like, a little more careful. That's crazy because I have cats too and I always think of like because I don't let them in the like the laundry room because that's where the furnace is and everything. There's so many things they could get behind, right? So I'm always paranoid when they're in there, right? So I could only imagine how paranoid this woman would be. So you've never thrown a cat in a washing machine then? <laughs> Safe to say. I, not to my knowledge. <laughs> I mean, who, who knows? <laughs> After this story, I mean, perhaps I have, but I've never found a cat in the washing machine at the very least. Oh my God. So Sal, thanks for coming aboard. Really appreciate it. Now's your time to plug your stuff, plug the books, plug Retro Mania Wrestling, whatever you want, your social media, go for it, my friend. Well, first, thanks for having me. This was a blast. You know, this is, I uh, would love to come on and anytime. Um, this is awesome. You know, I am uh, on Twitter a lot, so I'm just at Sal Payne. And I have a website too, salvatore-pain.com. Um, and all the books, you know, you can buy them from the publisher's website, so Boss Fight Books. And then my novels are through Braddock Avenue Books. But they're on Amazon too. So whatever's easy. You know, if, if anyone wants to support me, thank you. You know, So any any way you can do it, you know, is, is cool by me. So, yeah, thank, thanks for having me on the show. This was great. 
No, thank you. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, it helps me out. And most importantly, please, it's free of charge. It takes you two seconds. Do it when you're on the toilet. Rate, subscribe, review to all major platforms. Most specifically, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud. And iHeartRadio. I think I touched them all. I don't know. Rewind to the top of the show. It's there. (laughs) (laughs) Any predictions for 2021 in pro wrestling before I let you go? How about that? Oh, I mean, the big one. I mean, I'm excited for Kenny Omega. Kenny's been my guy since that first Okada match. So now he finally has the belt. So the thing I most want to see is Kenny versus Kota Ibushi. Um, and that's a story that's been building for a decade. That is the, the dream match that I want more than anything. I don't know if it's going to happen, but they've been teasing it. So I think if, uh, if COVID allows, you know, people are vaccinated, you know, in a couple months, I, I hope we get to see that. That would be my, my, my dream. Um, the WWE side, my prediction is we're getting Goldberg somewhere in the main event. <laughs> Mania, and I'm going to be annoyed. Uh, so that's, yeah, that, that's what I predict. It's going to be some old guy I don't want to see. Um, but they're running out of they're running out of old guys that can still go on that side. So but well, those are my major predictions. We haven't seen Brock in a while, so don't be surprised if he pops up anywhere soon, right? That's another one. I want to see Sable. I've been for years. I'm like, what? when's Sable going to come back? He's married to her. She showed up at UFC. She, you know, just I guess she doesn't want to. But have Sable manage Brock now that Heyman's with. Actually, uh, that's Ruben. a good call. That'd be great. Right? Yeah, no, yeah, but I don't know. Again, I'm, I don't know from a hole in a wall and how the relationship is, but for some odd reason, because of his on screen character of Brock Lesnar, I think it would be like sort of a Macho Man Elizabeth type thing. Like, no one can look at her. She's just mine. Like, and maybe that would be good for storyline if they came out with, with her, with him like that. Like that jealous guy. Like, oh, you look at her. I'm going to knock you out type of thing, right? Anything to get Sable on my TV again. I just, I think there's just money in bringing Sable back. You know, because they, they never bring back any women. You know, they're always bringing back. And I understand why, because the women's division was never, it was always an afterthought. But right. there's got to be someone we can bring back that's not just a luncher blaze who never gets to do anything. I'd love to see sure. her do something more than just a rumble spot. Well, mine, it's not really a prediction. The one thing I want to see is full houses again. Because that pop, the audience, it's, yeah, like, even Wrestle Kingdom was okay. But it wasn't the same as any other Wrestle Kingdom. Like, there was amazing matches on there. But I just, I don't know, there's something about audiences. I still enjoy watching wrestling, but I'm not willing to rush to watch wrestling anymore. Like, if that makes sense, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, every year I throw a Wrestle Kingdom party. And this year I haven't even, I haven't even finished watching it yet. You know, so I used to do it immediately. Like, I mean, the, the morning after. And make chili for everybody. You know, and come over. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's definitely hard to watch now. I think AEW's done a good job of having, like, but then it's like, you feel bad. of Like, oh, God, they have people in there. Like, should they be in there? That's the other you know? thing, and, right? And the Thunderdome is kind of is kind of interesting, I guess, but it's it's not the same. No, well, we'll see what happens for 2021. On that note, he's Sal. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace. <laughs>